Hello and welcome to this Drum Network podcast. I'm Nikki McMorrow, the head of the Drum Network, and we're here today to talk about the evolution of search journeys. We're going to talk about where we've got to um, in the history of search, um, where we are now and what our predictions are for the future. And I am joined by four experts in this arena from a variety of agencies ranging from full service to highly specialised on SEO. Uh, with a range of job functions from quite broad and paid media through to real user experience and SEO. So without further ado, I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves and then we will get on with the show. Dave. Excellent. Hi guys, my name is Dave Colgate. I'm head of the enterprise SEO team at Vertical Leap. I've been doing SEO for about 16 years. I've been at Vertical Leap since 2010 and I've been head of the team since 2019. I'm responsible for overseeing all of our SEO campaigns and uh, look after uh, about 18 SEOs at Vertical Leap. Excellent. Thank you, Dave. Lottie. Hi, I'm Lottie Namakando. I'm Head of Paid Media and Planning at iCrossing. We are a full service agency um, spanning across a variety of different services, including customer journey and transforming um, experiences for our brands that we work with. I have over 10 years experience in search and really excited to be here today. Super, thank you. And Sam. Hi guys, uh, my name's Sam Kant. Uh, I am the Head of SEO at JWing. Um, so we're a full service agency with a uh, significant um, offering within the data science um, side of things. Um, and that informs uh, a lot of the work that we do through media. Um, my job specifically, obviously heading up the uh, SEO team in our search product or organic search product, uh, but also integrating with the other um, media teams as well to cover that full customer journey. Excellent. And John? Yep, my name's John Campbell. I have a bit of a, a split role here. So half my time, I look after innovation at Roast, which is digital agency, SEO and PPC. And then the other time I spend is the managing director of our voice agency here, which is Rabbit and Port, which is focusing on uh, Alexa. Um, and over on the innovation side, we've looked at voice search, we've looked at search on TikTok, and most recently, we're looking at Google's SGE, so it's something we'll probably talk about today is the next evolution of search. Great, I can't wait to hear more about it. So we're going to talk a little bit about the past, a little bit about the present, and then um, a little bit about our predictions for the future. Um, can we sum up the history of search journeys so far? Uh, when did the whole idea of a user journey or a customer journey or a search journey even begin? Um how have we evolved up until now? How do you even refer to these evolutionary stages at your agency? John, maybe you would like to go first. So originally I was, I was at SEO. And so, you know, 12, 15 years ago, I think there was a little bit of naivety in terms of how we thought it was quite simple. People saw a TV ad, they searched for a company name, they went to the website and they bought, or, you know, people had a product, they searched a generic phrase, then they searched a little bit more of a phrase that was more specific, specific, and then they went and purchased. And I think a little bit of that might have been true because of, it was a lot more simpler. There was just kind of Google. We didn't have all these platforms. People might have not gone to Amazon to search as much. People have gone to different social platforms to search. Um, so there's a bit of naivety in terms of people thinking that, you know, uh, search was quite simple, but in reality, different searches for different types of verticals are all totally different 
from you know buying some pet food could be quite simple to buying a car could take you know multiple weeks over multiple devices um, and i think as technology's evolved it's made it far more complicated you know the fact that you know sometimes two or three people could be involved in a purchase journey you know sending a whatsapp link to somebody of something they found on instagram or when my mum sends me a screenshot of something on Amazon and asks me, is that a good product? And I'm like, stop sending the screenshots, sends the URLs. So I think it has become more complicated. Um, and I think a big thing for us was looking at the, the kind of the messy middle report from Google and saying how, you know, you can influence those journeys using different kind of messaging in your ad copy. Um, and that unfortunately there isn't one route. There is never going to be kind of one route that you can say that everybody's journeys follows is going to always change depending on the product, the type of user they are, uh, and that makes it really complicated for people in search. And if you're in-house, that means that you've got to have to have knowledge across lots of different platforms. Uh, and that's where I think agencies can help because we can spend those time researching into what works well on different platforms. Excellent. Thank you. Um... Does it go back even further to prehistoric, pre-Google, pre-web days? What was the search journey like when we all just had to meet each other face to face? We still had to find out about a product. Um, you know, do you include that in the evolution? Yeah, I think so. I mean, what, I don't even remember getting together with people these days and, and talking about things. Um, but I, I even remember the days of something called Ask Jeeves. I don't know if you guys remember that at all, but I think that was probably pre-Google. And then before that, I think it was AOL. I seem to remember using that as well on your on the occasion. But a bit like John said, I think um, in terms of very, very early stages, it's, it, there was a bit of a naivety around it because you, you expected people to go and use this newfangled search engine thing of a bob. You do a search, up pops these results, you click on something, you buy something. But obviously, since then, there's been a lot of evolution in terms of the different v- calls people can use and how to access all of those products and services and probably the first big stage of that really um, was was mobile so everyone suddenly has got this thing in their hands and for a little while we all used it to you know text for friends play snake a lot and then suddenly you can uh, use it to access uh, the internet and, and you can be on the train and you know the world's your oyster suddenly so i think it was at that point really that's that's people's sort of that, that user journey resources to expand and more than just pointing and clicking the whole element of doing a bit more research into your products and and that broader that whole funnel uh, type shape started to evolve a little bit more I suppose yeah because that's when there started to be more touch points because it's with you all the time in the shop at the event with your friends as well as at your computer and at your desk um, so so mobile may have been the first kind of tipping point um, for the evolution of search. What happened then? I mean, I think, so I think trust comes as a, as a big part of this as well, potentially along the sort of along the lines, uh, timelines as, as from a mobile perspective. So I think consumer, you know, when you were asking, you know, way back when you were asking, um, you know, your, your colleagues, your friends, your family for advice or, or kind of, a, you know, indication of where to, to go for a product or if you were looking at using, say, Yellow Pages to find a brand or an industry. These are trust, you know, in, you know theory, trusted um, sources of information. And I think that's a big factor when people move from that, um, having that level of trust in these alternative places to search and, and get that information. They need to be confident that the information they're going to get is, is valid. And obviously, you know, there's a whole period of, you know, all oh, this sort of, you know, with a lot of faith 
fake news and kind of how can you trust websites and make sure that you're getting information from trusted sources because it is so open and you know everybody can put their opinions into into um, into the sphere. So I think that's a that's a big factor in terms of how people then would change in terms of what they're going to to, to do and how they're going to search to to get that information moving to. Um, more digital channels and that same approach I think is what then um, prompts people moving into different um, options so moving from Google into alternatives so you know your Instagram you know other search channels Pinterest TikTok all these things you know there's that level of trust and I think trust obviously also manifests itself differently depending on generations I mean there's a big difference in how different generations are you know, searching what platforms they're engaging with and again that's some of that comes to trust because it's a case of you know um if you're not used to that and that's just not something you're you've you've kind of grown up with so to speak you know then those channels are something that maybe takes more time for you to grow that level of trust with it whereas you know younger generations it's a case of like that's always been there and like yeah our levels of you know understanding and, and actually how the technology works as well is different therefore you know those those movement into kind of trusting something is easier because it's like you don't have those preconceived ideas or fears potentially that have you know come from historic experiences with you know interacting with different search options so i think that's you know their big areas that you know when looking from brands perspective even from search you know trust is so huge you know you're expecting people to really understand who you as a brand um, you know, and trust that you can deliver whatever answer to the question or product it is you're, you're delivering to them as well. I think sometimes, you know, that how important that is to a consumer can be sort of slightly sidelined um, for other areas. Arguably, that's really interesting on the, on the trust thing, I think, because I think that's something that's evolved as well. When I think about way back when, at the beginning, you know, I remember a period of time when it was quite a big deal to have these little trust signals and things when you're asking people to purchase on a website, you know, that's a trusted buy and your MasterCard sign, all that sort of stuff. Whereas I think to now and how my son interacts with his GoHenry card and, you know, apps and stuff, he's, he's throwing money at these apps and things and i'm thinking actually yeah from a trust perspective outside of technology and things that, that was probably quite a big step moving forwards in terms of, of user journeys because we were really expected to spend this money online with a, a company we've never met before and it's a bit like is that okay to do whereas now we don't even think about it do we i think it's a, a really uh, interesting point with with trust and how that impacts the user journey as well um, obviously, back in the the nineties, when we we look back at the the original kind of marketing funnel, um, trust was built by by brands, and you trusted in the brand and moved through uh, the funnel to, towards purchases, and it, it was built very much like that. I think these days, with the uh, access to information, um, access to to multiple brands online and through e commerce brands you've not necessarily heard about, you have to go out of your way to find those trust signals. Also. Um, users rely more on Google now to, to build that trust for them. So you expect a website that is um, that is on Google and on the front page of, of, of Google to be a trusted source. And I think that creates complexity uh, within those touch points. Um, it's not just, you know, the brand, you move through the funnel, you, you purchase, you have lots of touch points across lots of channels. Um, and that kind of matrix makes everything a, a, a lot more complex i like it um you're making me think of a tree where the original kind of web search was the trunk and then um mobile kind of allowed some branches and now these trust signals are, have created all these kind of like twigs twiglets trust is still 
transferring from humans to algorithms to different social platforms and communities and tribes that you trust to the sort of diversification of generations and so on. So it's getting ever so complex. Are there any more signposts along the way in this journey to where we've got to now that um, as marketers, it would be helpful to understand? I think another point I was thinking about was around the type of responses that people are expecting. So before, you know, written, it was a case of like, you know, I'm asking a question, give me a written response to that question. Whereas now, you know, a lot of you know, Google's um, recent reports have shown this increase in inspiration, certainly from a search perspective, people looking for, for inspiration, even, you know, which, whichever sector, even from a B2B sector, as well as um, from, you know, other, you know, retail sectors as well. And again, that inspiration is like what form does inspiration come in for um for people so is that is that written arguably maybe that's just personal you know for me inspiration is more visual and again you know so that I think is another interesting um, transition of like where people are then you know if I'm going to move to a different channel to use to search rather than Google what is the purpose of that what what does it deliver me and okay yes arguably it could be the quality of the response I'm getting I feel like the answer is more you know relevant to me and obviously there's a big piece there but also it's about what what format does that come in um, because that, you know, if I'm going to look for, say, a retail product, it might be that, you know, Pinterest is somewhere that I am going to search because I want to see what it is I'm looking for. And I appreciate Google can provide some of that, but it's not the same experience. And I think, again, that's that, you know, looking for inspiration. What what are people expecting? What do they want to see? You know, it isn't just words anymore. Actually, people want to see it in a variety of different formats. And I think that's also led to that kind of expansion into the different types of search platforms people are using because arguably if you know if they all did the same thing and they all provided the similar response then why would you need them actually that's because they realistically do serve different purposes and provide the data in different ways and I think that's a a really key other element of why you know that evolution and, and into where we are now and why we're seeing such a diversification of those platforms. Absolutely yes format I think is is key. At what point did search go from being simply I want a thing and I want to find it to also I have a thing and I want to know what it is. Um, This kind of reverse search mentality as well. I think that's a really interesting one. I think that comes a lot with the the development and evolution of the algorithm. Um, Google's gone from and and the user's gone from from it being a very question answer based um, platform to actually giving less information as the input, but expecting way more in the response and I think um, Google's gotten very good at understanding the different intents of the user Um, so you could Google a a product name for instance and and you may want to purchase that product you may want a review of that product you may actually just want to know what that product is and the history around it and Google's gotten very good at giving those different options to you I think that the, the algorithm as it's developed has allowed users to get a lot more information out of out of their searches. On that as well, because I think what's interesting is I don't know about other people, but if you're when you're searching, so it's not it's not actually about the the text you're putting in either. I, I recently I'd found something that I wanted to purchase on I think I can't remember which brand it was, but it was a social ad, and I thought that for, for whatever reason that that product wasn't I couldn't order it from them. So I took a screenshot of the ad and then could search for it on another retail uh, website um, using their their image search. And there we go, I've got all this list because when I was using the using the search function from a word perspective, um, I was 
was actually finding quite difficult to get a response in the line with actually what I was trying to convey because you know for that particular platform but actually using that image and all of a sudden I can just put an image in there and like this is what I'm this is in my head this is what I want this is exactly what I want I don't have to verbalize that or write it down and I can show you and you can read that and tell me what it and then there it came back you know four or five results which when I searched with text I didn't get anything close search with the name and I think again that's that thing you know you know take you know you see a picture of something you know or, or somebody wearing something and you're like that's you know that's can I take a picture of your outfit because I love it and actually I want to find I want to you know look for something similar myself and I think that's another again the out it's the technology that's able to to do that to actually start to use different forms of search of how we're searching as well. I think uh, is an opportunity for, for brand marketers uh, now because I'm, I'm sure you guys find the same thing. I'm sure listeners find the same thing. You do a search for a product, you go and look at that product and there's only ever one image for that product. You think, well, actually, I'd, I'd quite like more images to look at. And it almost feels a little bit lazy on behalf of the owner of that e-commerce site. And by integrating more imagery and, and understanding that, you know, people are looking for more than just the black and white text to get information about the things that they're buying, you'll also give yourself a bit of an advantage from a search perspective as well because um, search engines are also looking at as part of what Sam was saying there in terms of the algorithms changing um, I'm a firm believer of, of um, search engines Google there are other others available of drawing a line through these industries and if you're sitting on that line you're average like everyone else if you're below that line the chances of increasing your visibility in those search engines are lessened but if you're punching above that sort of industry average line, if you like, you're more likely to get more visibility. And in order to do that, it's doing those things. It's, it's um, going above and beyond what everyone else is is doing with those. So, including the imagery, asking questions, answering questions, sorry, with video rather than just doing the black and white text stuff. Excellent. Um, well, this is a good segue into the sort of what's going on now and how can we as marketers. Um, make the most of it without breaking the, the content production bank. <laughs> Can anyone enlighten me on um, how complex and lengthy those uh, the, those journeys now are? I suppose the, the question for me is what what is an average user journey now? I think that's so broad. It's so, it, it's impossible to pinpoint you, your user journey um, a, a, as a person changes depending on what it is you're looking for, um, you know, price points of product. Um, brands you're interacting with uh, again going back to the trust do, do I need to build trust with the brand before I then purchase and then it's it's different for demographics it's different for people as marketers we try and spend a lot of time bucketing people into specific personas and trying to make sense of um, lots of lots of touch points and lots of things that don't necessarily make sense we also rely on tools that that don't really give us the full picture. Using GA, it, it relies on a last click model. We're not we're not understanding what those touch points are before. And I think this goes into to having that that wider picture and wider understanding of, of your audience, your customers, your business itself, the different platforms that you're on, running attribution modeling and econometrics to, to really get that kind of full picture and to create as many personas as necessary to be able to reach out to them at the different points within their journey, providing the right information, the right trust signals, obviously uh, pushing them towards uh, conversion as well. But I think it's very complex now, it's much more complex than it was before. We've been looking into that and, and so using the search function to look at date ranges. So actually using the same search for now and then changing the date range to look between these dates to see what kind of uh, articles were being produced at those times. And interestingly, it was quite difficult to get anything that really 
gave a sort of definitive view whether now my thought was whether that's just because at that period people weren't really looking necessarily into it so much and I was thinking about how do you then retrospectively look at okay what what sort of average touch points were they 10 20 years ago versus now well recently I read somewhere about 700 different interactions if you're booking travel for example and I think logically you would expect that to have been a lot lower you know before because actually there were fewer opportunities and, and places for us to necessarily go and again I think it it it's that definition of what those interactions are. But I think the fact that 700 different interactions on travel is, is, is insane when, you know, when you think about it. But you know what, actually, it probably is, is not far off because you think, even if you're not necessarily aware of it, you know, you're having all these different interactions that you're, because obviously people, you know, having those as opportunities to speak to people is still a factor in that in that search and discovery albeit at at a different proportion than it was so I think you know all these different interactions but also out of home you know all these different signals that we're unable to get kind of get hold of as well Um, but you think that that's a lot of different opportunities for brands to either kind of be that front of mind how you know being in that consideration set how do you ensure you're still there when these people are going through 700 different interactions what is it that you need to do in order to remain in that consideration set and make sure you don't get booted out which I think is again a really important thing for uh, brand marketers to to consider you know it's it's being that kind of reiteration without it being annoying (laughs) or creepy um, if you're looking about relevancy or personalization. I remember working on um, Cunard and and PO ferries and and you've kind of got like totally different you know journeys you've kind of got like sometimes people will be booking two years in advance and so from an SEO point of view, you're thinking, like, oh, how do we optimize for those people who are searching for cruises in 2022 or 2023, et cetera? And at what point do they search volumes flip over? And then at the same time, you then got the brand saying, oh, there's a ship leaving from Portsmouth next week and it's, it's got 30 rooms free. How can we do some SEO and to kind of fill those rooms before it goes? And so there was always kind of that kind of judging up, you know, those different search journeys and how do you optimize different content and then the business perspective one of the impressive pieces of work I've done in the past with enterprise rental car when they were kind of properly launching out taking over car rental companies in Spain and France and it was all about utilization so we wanted to optimize not necessarily our locations with the most amount of search volume it was about the locations where you know they had spare cars but also then it was kind of where you'd get rentals for five days. So it was the search journeys there was, was, was thinking about, well, actually, you know, we've got easier key phrases to go for, but from a business perspective, we have to take that into consideration. And actually the best one was to try and, you know, optimize for the locations of train stations in the middle of nowhere, where there was no chance of you going anywhere, which is why hiring a car for five days was kind of the best option. And in those examples, you know, if you, People generally leave that car hire till seven days before they actually travel to a place. So it's like, how can you rank at the right time and not necessarily just on, you know, on all key phrases at all, at all opportunities. And, and some of that was to do to be just basically budget and time. We can't optimize for every single location and, and have the budgets there. So how do you prioritize accordingly? Now that just exponentially gets more complicated with all the different platforms we've been talking about. It depends on the service. But if now people are now searching on TikTok for this or they're searching on Instagram for content related to that, that search journey might be totally different. So that search journey we are talking about before with the 700 impressions for, for travel, as Lottie was mentioning, you know, that could be 
a lot of those are just, you know, you board thinking about locations, but you're not going to go on to that booking journey until, you know, January, et cetera. It's just really, really complicated for brands to kind of to, to be at all places at all once on these journeys. I think that's a really imp- interesting point, actually. And I think um, prioritizing where you want to be is important because nobody has an unlimited budget. You can't create content for, for every scenario. But I think it's also about the the, the brand ownership and the, and the voice that you want to carry as well and the authority that you have within the market. So, um, for instance, we work with Savills, um, a, a, a massive name in the in the, in the housing market, um, and obviously buying a house is going to have a much more extended um, uh, journey um, to, to purchase. Um, but it, for us, what, what we kind of do is reverse engineer um, what is it that is important to a user to, to get them to that decision, to make that decision. And that can you know take a lot of forms. That doesn't have to be related to your products, your, in this case, houses um, and the, and the re- regions that you're in. But people might be interested about the, the history of house prices or um, flood areas or schooling uh, locations, best schools, um, and giving that information to users that we know are more likely to, to be in that purchase journey for a house means that we can put the brand front and present to those users at a significant decision-making part of the process, even though that decision-making um, process there isn't the purchase itself. I think that's a really good point. I've heard many of our um, agency members talking about underpriced attention within marketing and everything's very cluttered. So what tools, techniques and tricks do you have for sidestepping the competitive, expensive routes and finding really effective ways to notice those purchase triggers in unusual different forms? So I've got a bit of a story that might work with this one. Uh, so one of the tools that I find is, is sometimes overlooked because there's just so many fantastic tools out there now um, is your box standard um, Google Keyword Trends tool. And there's um, even some free plugins that you can get for your browser that overlays additional information on it now. Um, and the reason I'm highlighting that is because we've used it a couple of times to um, come across some of these new opportunities. We do a, a lot of work with um, brands such as Harvester or Bar One, Toby Carvery, uh, and similar. And Christmas is a very, very, very big time for them in terms of table bookings and that sort of stuff. And one of the things that we noticed through using um, the, the, the Google Trends tool was that in the in the days leading up to Christmas, there was a, a huge spike in the people searching for restaurants open Christmas Day, which when you think about it, I mean, that's total sense, total sense. But we thought, well, now we've identified this opportunity and it's only a very, very temporary spike, but it was huge volumes. How can we capitalize on that? So we worked with those brands to be very, very, very proactive in updating particular parts of the website in order to align that messaging with the intent of the searchers to capture more of that traffic. And it worked extremely well. Um, so again, a keywords trends tool is the one that led us towards all that. And it's, it's free for everyone to use. It's yeah, really good. 
we have an audience and intelligence team at iCrossing and their kind of role from a search perspective is very much helping to kind of understand, like to your point, you know, those other sort of triggers that are happening with consumers and also kind of working on which which platforms, uh, to your point, Sam, which platforms um, consumers are going to be present on. Because I think, you know, we have got so much budget that's available and actually those triggers will differ depending on the audience and, you know, what point of that consideration journey they are on. Um, and I think that's a really critical part for any brand to have that view and visibility of what those different places, different things are. So having that kind of matrix and framework to really understand each of those individual um, points so that you can pick and choose which are the most valuable potential opportunities to kind of reach out to those customers and um, where you're going to maximize your effectively your budget. Um, but also just to be mindful of you know which are the ones that are um, have the most volume and are and the most and most valuable as well to the consumers to, to again give that that experience to them because ultimately you know they need to have their the value that you're bringing to them as a, as a consumer it's not just about bombarding them with whatever you've got in your armory it's actually what you know answering the need that they have at that specific moment and I think unless you have taken the time to map that out um, as a full journey and actually really understand those points you know you're going to to be constantly kind of make, potentially missing the mark slightly or at least wasting spend and budget and focus on the wrong areas um, so I think yeah that's a really key point I think for um, anyone who's sort of facing some of these challenges or kind of trying to navigate this complexity is actually having a real structured framework to to, to work from. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's, uh, it sounds a lot like we're saying we're looking for anomalies, oddities, differences within the audience at certain times in order to find uncompetitive, undiscovered diamonds in the rough. Is that right? Absolutely. Because I think when we work, and I work with brands, um, quite often they'll have their, their, their heartland of, of uh, audience like these are the people you know we know that they're gonna um forever be you know great great audience for us to con to, to be in touch with but you know obviously audiences um quite typically depending on the, on the sector but can um sort of uh, sort of age as you go through and you need to be able to to refill that audience pool with new audiences and new people that you can expect you know touch touch base with um and if you're looking as well at kind of increasing your market share it's like well how do you do that how do you actually start to um kind of capitalize on, on different opportunities and i think that's that can be quite tricky for some brands because like it's quite scary it's like well that that audience isn't relevant but they don't they don't they're not interested in our brand well do you know that do you have the data to back that up there's probably an angle for most things where you can potentially get somewhere into being relevant to to most people um and i think it's just about finding that yeah, I think um, as well, being on the agency side can help you have that context. When I was in the brand side, you see information and you might think it's an insight because you don't have the luxury of having seen this 50 times already, which maybe leads us into sort of what are some key misconceptions about search journeys, do you think, for marketing people on the brand side? A few years ago, we decided to delve into voice search and we didn't know, we, were, you know we, we made a punt in terms of kind of how much it's going to get used. And I think in an early assumption is that, you know, a percentage of people will, will voice search on every single key phrase. And it's the, the same with kind of now with TikTok or if you're going to go to chat GTP to get an answer, is that it's not going to be of 40,000 people searching for car insurance. 90% are going to stay on Google. 10% are going to be here, 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 here. It's what we've seen is that different platforms have, have, have kind of different search volumes. And I think it's really hard for a brand to decide whether they're going to invest in a platform 
in a new platform. So whether that's they're going to start to have paid search ads on you know, Instagram or uh, TikTok have a kind of an, uh, a paid platform, is that at the moment you've got no kind of knowledge of you know how many people are searching on those platforms. The tools aren't there, and and that was one of the things that we found in voice search is that um you know the keyword planner tool is great because it tells you it gives you a brand's an informed decision about how many people are going to search for something whereas these new platforms that are coming through you're taking a punt so um we don't know how many people are searching on voice search for different things um, and it makes it much harder and i think the other thing that's happening now is we're seeing that happening coming back into search with the zero click problem is that a lot of searches now don't result in a click so you could have a key phrase which looks brilliant from the keyword planner point of view. There's 4,500 searches per month. You're really relevant. You might see absolute zero clicks of those because the user gets the information in the search engine result and then going and then and that's it and they leave. So it's almost now we've got a kind of, as you mentioned before about the intent of the key phrase, you've almost got to have, you know, prioritization of key phrases based on search volume, but also then on intent and then multiplied by platform. And it all of a sudden means that, you know, one platform could have a key phrase with high value, uh, the same key phrase we search on another platform and has zero value, et cetera. Um, and that just makes it so much compl more complicated for anybody trying to put a search campaign together that, you know, they need to then have all these different priorities at different levels multiply that by languages and then it's just an absolute uh, you know it's just a, a, a huge problem to kind of overcome um, and unfortunately these platforms at the moment some of them don't have the data and so therefore brands will actually say well we're not going to spend the time and the effort to, to launch on these until we know that it's going to have some value and return on investment and it's about you know taking up that and um, you know that value of do we go early and we might get some gains because there's less competition and the prices are low, but we might not with, with the guinea pigs versus if we come later to the platform, then it's going to cost us more and we've lost that kind of the first mover, mover advantage. I think this um, leads us kind of nicely into where's it all going next? It's already kind of complicated to navigate all these different variables um, and throw into that mix that you just mentioned, the, the stages of the user journey as well. <laughs> What's going to happen next? Is there going to be some AI-related epiphany that simplifies it for us? Or is it going to be ever more complex and ever more tricky and um, ever more specialised? There's two things we've seen. Is one, from a, from a user perspective, and I mentioned it earlier at the start, Google are currently testing in the US search generative experience. So that's their version of using BARD, their, their, their algorithms to basically answer questions and generate a, an answer to your question. So if you're searching, you know, what's the best way, best way to see the Northern Lights and, and you do that in the US at the moment, you'll see an answer box, you'll see your 10 links and then some PPC listings and then all of a sudden it'll start to generate this SG answer and it takes up the full page and shifts everybody's results down. So the click-through rates probably we're looking at maybe like, you know, 60% drop in click-through rates. But in there, there's a new opportunity, which is where they generate an answer for you, but that answer is generated from eight different websites. So the opportunity there is then how do I provide that content that Google can then summarize that and fingers crossed, 
when it lists out those three bullet points, it says, you know, what well, the best way to see it is on a cruise, which is one of our clients. And then they have on the right hand side, you know, the articles that relate to it. So we've now maybe in a situation where, you know, we have been trying to provide and create content that's useful to users, but we also need to think about how is that content then being ingested by these generative AI models to be able to then repurpose that content to create its own succinct answer. So there's that side of things from a user's point of view, and we can see that they're trying that on other platforms. And the temptation is then, and we talked about it before, is that we don't have an unlimited budget. Do we use then generative AI and large language model technology to create more pages and create more content to feed that? But might work from a PPC, might work from a paid listing, but we know from an SEO perspective is that Google's going to detect that and then it's going to, um, uh, you know, uh, have a negative impact on those uh, listings. But straight away, we've seen technologies move quicker. We can build custom large language models, which is based on your press releases, your website, your blog, your content. And then you can use that to generate text, which is then more aligned to your your brand. Unfortunately, it's an ever-changing landscape. So for a brand, you've got to, you know, read up, work with agencies to work out what you should do and then decide at what point do you dip in and how far do you dip in and, and what do you decide to invest um, uh, in, in a new kind of platform. All this energy and all this algorithm and um, AI generated, does that mean we can move away from personas and be truly one-to-one? I find this whole topic absolutely fascinating. Um, one of the reasons I find this fascinating is um, is what's happening with uh, not only just the technology, but how the, the, the behaviours of our future customers are also changing now. And if we look at some of the younger generations, so uh, Generation Y and even Generation Alpha, a bit early to, to see how they're going to change. But... Um, the New York Times did this excellent uh, article back in February about how um, Generation Z are starting to use TikTok a little bit more to perform your everyday searches. Uh, and I found that really, really interesting. And I know a lot of people use TikTok, again, on similar sort of platforms, you know, your recipe searches and stuff like that and what have you. But this generation seems to be using it a lot more to perform the, the sort of searches that I wouldn't even consider doing search. Maybe that's just because I'm old. But um, one of the examples they gave was some 15-year-old who was applying to high school and needed um, recommendations on how to put a, a letter of recommendation together. So for a lot of people, I think you go to Google, you'd find some decent sources and, and, and do that. This individual went straight into TikTok, did searches within there and accumulated some information in there uh, to, to put um, those actions together in order to, to her be able to put that letter of recommendation together, which I found really, really interesting. And if you look at some of the things that are upcoming in search, the main thing I'm talking about is perspectives that, uh, that, that Google has uh, launched recently. That, I believe, is their way of adapting to that new um, behavior that's up and coming because what they're doing with perspectives is they're accruing all those different sources of information saying well rather than giving you these 10 results or this one result here's a bunch of rather community-based results that we found that you might find useful to, to resolve this search um, and we've got a, a, a client um, who's delving into this at the moment and what they've done is they've cottoned onto this and thought okay well let's do a massive roundup of whereabouts everyone is talking to us or about us and asking questions about us across all these different different platforms. So they've looked at Reddit, they've looked at Quora, they've looked at YouTube, and they've got this huge list. And what they're doing is they're looking at that list and going, okay, how can we have more input 
into these conversations and how can we be more proactive and active on these platforms so that when something like perspectives and the whole AI thing comes into play a little bit more, we have a little bit more control and say over how we're, we're gaining that visibility and over those conversations. And when opportunities arise, they're sort of better positioned in order to capitalize on that so yeah really 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 interesting uh, what's going to happen in the future amazing um lottie i'm curious to know what you think about trust in the future as you were the one that brought up trust earlier yeah i think i think trust has evolved as we said so much over the last 10 20 years or so i think what I find quite an interesting topic is the, is the level of kind of trust and authenticity behind um, using AI for writing uh, sort of content, for example, we were talking about earlier. And I think that's going to be a really interesting one to play out to see how people feel about that level of trust. Do they do they still trust that content? You know, when it's not actually written by a human, um, you know, arguably for the, by the brand, if it's written by, you know, technology, um, do you trust that output the same way as you would do? And I think that will just continue to evolve and it'd be interesting to see what way that goes and like how people feel about that will that divide and I think it will just get bigger that that sort of generational difference between how different people are interacting with different um, digital channels which unfortunately ultimately will make it more complicated for marketers because all of a sudden you know that need to be relevant to different audiences we've always known that but is that need going to become bigger therefore the the you know, you know identities you're using to target are going to be so much more different therefore you're going to have to have a completely different approach to to speak to each one which you know is an yet another interesting challenge that we are ultimately i think going to be facing as we as we continue to navigate our way through these ever complex um you know uh, days it's a challenge for sure um i guess the trust also depends on how good of a job the engineers do over the next few years well, their AI. <laughs> yeah okay absolutely I know yeah it's that kind of interesting I'd written an article a little while back about you know I always loved um like Terminator and it's always that little bit of a view of like you know <laughs> how is it going to evolve and all of a sudden if it's you know starting to kind of think about these things probably slightly uh, dramatizing that but still it's, it's an interesting concept of like you know how does the technology you know start to, to develop that um uh, awareness you know around that you know, obviously it doesn't have at the moment it's using very much sort of data formulated but then it's like okay does it does it reach that point where all of a sudden it's got a different percept- perception of things and a different way to view things than than it currently does um i'm not sure what, again what that will look like and, and also how how people feel about that because i think that's a big thing that I, you don't see so much of it's like oh it's this great new technology but how, what, what do we actually feel about that um from an emotional perspective i think marketing is is so emotional emotionally uh, driven ultimately so then you know have we really thought about what this does this mean as as, as kind of individuals about how we feel about that yeah. emotional <laughs> well so we, we've covered a lot in quite a short space of time and I think we could talk all day about this but we're going to have to wrap it up so I'm going to ask Sam to give us your one main takeout for the brand marketer it's such an expansive topic we've uh, we've obviously covered everything from creating uh, funnel models in the in the 90s right through to generative ai and um and and the future of search and i think that what we should probably do is just is break down what the commonalities are throughout that process and i think that kind of future proofs us as we move forwards as well regardless of the the marketer uh the the, the brand or or the platform uh, everything is user centric 
we're creating a, a journey, a process, an experience for the user to encourage them to act in a way that we want them to act. Being able to, to build a strategy uh, for your brand marketing and have that strategy sort of transcend your channels means that you're able to adapt um, what you're doing to incorporate everything, uh, every touch point that, that your customer is having. And I think we've spoken a lot about data, pulling data together, sharing data between channels, understanding your audience, all of this comes together into creating a, a succinct strategy. And I think moving forwards, um, one year, three years, five years, we can all speculate on, on what that looks like. But focusing on your audience, um, the, the user is ultimately how you're going to be able to, to win as a brand. Excellent. Thank you to our amazing panel today. My take out as a non-SEO expert is um, that this is really complicated and probably the best next step as a brand marketer would be to get in touch with one of these amazing people from uh, iCrossing, J-Wing, Vertical Leap or Roast. So with that, I'll leave you with that thought. Um, thanks ever so much to this panel. This was a Drum Network podcast on the evolution of search journeys. <laughs>